0: Hi there, listeners. Just a reminder all co hosts of the arbitration station appear on it in their personal capacities. So please do not attribute statements to or take legal advice from what is said on this informal podcast. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to the Arbitration Station. My name is Brian Kotick.
1: And I'm Sadia Hattie. Ah,
0: She's back, everyone. She's back in our ears. <laughs> welcome back, Sadia. How are you? Thank
1: you. I'm good. Thank you very much. Yes, I am back. It's usually either Jewel who's absent, right?
0: And <laughs> I've been, <I> know. <laughs>
1: I, I've been stretching the absence for a long time now, but I am back. It's been a revolving
0: back. door of hosts for me. It's just been you <laughs> and then Joel comes in and Jan. But uh, happy to have whoever is on the other side of this line. So welcome back. And we're entering into the Christmas season. Christmas exactly. parties galore. Um, exactly
1: so i'm writing time just before the another another break <laughs> yeah
0: exactly <laughs> that's here to, the way to
1: do it here yeah. to
0: celebrate unfortunately we don't have an episode today about gifts christmas gifts which uh we, we do every year <laughs> which we do every year and maybe we'll think of some in a later episode but today we have our typical substantive topic and happy fun time topic and our substantive topic i will lead and it's about we're a bit late to the game but better late than ever but it's a uk supreme court judgment. Um, on litigation funding agreements and it has significant ramifications for UK litigation funders, but also law firms based in the UK or or yeah, based in the UK or even abroad that uh, that have third party funding that may be impacted by this judgment. And so it's, some have called it shockwaves, but I think um, there's actually some new developments that we'll be discussing that it may limit the impact of this case, or at least just provide people with guidance on how to structure their, uh, their funding arrangements. Um, so that is the substantive topic today. And for happy, fun time topics, speaking of absences, we'll be talking about extensions.
1: Yes, we all love those, (laughs) don't we? The last minute, like, I just need one more day, one more
0: week. (laughs) We love it when we request it, and we hate it when they're requested.
1: Exactly. That's very true. So we're going to be talking about this uh, happy occurrence for for (laughs) at least one of the parties. Yeah, that occurs very often.
0: Well, welcome back. And without further ado, let's jump in. Let's go. All right. So we're here to talk about a court case today. And I know it's been a very UK centric podcast lately, but hopefully I I try every time we talk about some UK cases to bring it to a broader perspective. So let's dig into the case first, and then we'll start talking about the implications that may affect other people outside of the jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So this is the UK Supreme Court case. And for those who haven't seen it in the news, it's on the application of PACCAR and others who are the appellants versus the Competition Appeal Tribunal and other respondents. And it was handed down on 26th of July 2023. And the issue, the question before the court, which came up on appeal was whether a form of an arrangement for third party funding can be considered lawful and effective or unenforceable and the other conversed Uh, situation. And in this case, they really discussed the statutory interpretation um, of the the UK statutes that were applicable and mainly related to, as I said, related to litigation finance agreements, uh, pursuant to which a funder is entitled to recover a percentage of any damages recovered um, so these litigation finance agreements are, according to the agreements, that depending on the amount of damages recovered, the litigation funder would be getting a percentage of that, which sounds pretty normal um, in the context. But the question was whether these agreements fell uh, fell within the uh, definition of a damage-based agreement, such that it would be subject to the relevant statutes in the UK, and therefore certain obligations and conditions needed to be uh complied with so the question before the court was does the litigation finance agreement fall within the meaning of a quote client management service and whether it also falls under it which is from section 58aa of the uh court and legal services act and whether it was also the provision of legal services and assistance under section 41 of the compensation act of 2006 if it does then these damage-based agreements are unenforceable. And if it does not, then these are the types of agreements that parties can enter into. And I read the judgment myself I, I actually good read job, the judgment this time. <laughs> However, um, I found a Linklater's article that gave a much better summary, so I want to give credit where credit's due because I'll be I'll be referencing it a few times. So it was uh, published on their website by Alex Hannington, Rebecca Dickey, James Hanna, and Serena Williams—not to be confused with the tennis player. Uh, <laughs> Are you
1: sure it's not her? I,
0: it's spelled differently, but maybe it's oh, a okay. pseudonym for purposes of her lit- arbitration career. Um, so the factual background is um, how the litigation funding agreements ought to be characterized arose in the context of the applications for collective proceedings, uh, collective proceedings orders by UK Trucks Claim Limited and Road Haulage Association. So that's UKC, UKC, UKTC and RHA um, under the Competition Act of 1998. Now to, con- to obtain these orders, the applicant must show that they have adequate funding arrangements in place. So that's key here, that they actually have to show that they're able to be funded not only for their own costs, but for any adverse costs. Mm-hmm. Um, so the applicants here relied on their litigated funding agreements to show that they had proper funding in place. And as I said before, that these li- in subject to these agreements, litigation funders committed to fund the proceedings in return for a percentage of any damages recovered. So the appellant truck manufacturers contended in response to these order applications that the funding arrangements constituted damage based agreements within the meeting of the courts and legal services act and were accordingly unenforceable because they did not satisfy the regulatory requirements. Um, the respondents accepted that they were litigation funding agreements that they had entered into, um, but they uh, And they did not satisfy the statutory requirements, but that they were not, in fact, damage-based agreements for the purposes of falling under that, those acts. So if we look at the overview of the legal framework, um, the definition of a damage-based funding agreement is under Section 58AA3 and includes agreement to provide claims management services where the... One service provider is paid if the recipient attains a specified financial benefit in the matter. And two, the payment amount is to be determined by reference to the amount the financial benefit obtained. Um, so for the definition. Uh, which was actually replaced by what we know now for us English qualified lawyers as the Final S- Financial Services and Markets Act 2000 FSMA. Um, Section 419A states that the claims management services include advice or other services in relation to the making of a claim. And it further states that there's, quote, other services, which includes the provision of, quote, financial services or assistance. Um so the court had to consider whether these litigation funding arrangements that had this recovery as a percentage fell within advice or other services in relation to making a claim and those other services being financial services or assistance. And the parties here actually made a distinction uh, or try in, in their arguments. And um, and it doesn't get it didn't really come up too much in the judgment, but it did come up in the dissent much more, which had to do with the management factor. So how much is although you have a funder in place, how much are they actually managing the case and is it relevant that they're a passive funder that they don't actually do anything they just provide the fund and then they just let the lawyers take over and they're the ones actually managing the case mm. um but anyway in uh, so in the if we go through the judgment itself, the questions of appeal turned on whether quote claims management services should be interpreted. To include the provision of litigation funding, and the Supreme Court decided that it should, um, and that's why it has an impact. Um, and in, so these Linklaters articles summarize very neatly the, uh, the the finding of the ma- majority in the judgment. So first, that they said that the language of the Competition Act of 2006 was wide and did not tie to any concept of active management um secondary second contrary to the findings of the divisional court the court from which this appeal arose there was no reason to infer that the sections of the competition act were intended to regulate claims intermediaries the scheme of the relevant part of the act was to regulate activities and not persons of a particular description Mm.
1: uh
0: third the presence of section 58b of the court and legal services act on the statute book was not a reason to depart from interpreting the Co- Competition Act in accordance with its natural meaning. And there was no reason why statutory powers contained in different enactments should be regarded as mutually exclusive. Um, fourth, they looked to an explanatory memorandum to the Competition Act on how they should interpret client management's claims management services and said that this again should be interpreted broadly to include the provision of loans and other financial ins- uh, assistance. Then there was a discussion on whether any Few uh litigation uh, legislation that came after these acts could be used to interpret, um, and they and the court found that that could not color the meaning defined in the previous legislation um, because it was legislated afterwards. Um, and the final one is that neither Section fifty eight A of the Court and Legal Services Act or the uh, damage based agreement regulations, which came after, provided an aid to the interpretation of the Competition Act. Um, as to the former, so the Court and Legal Services Act, the majority held that the principle that a latter act could be used as a guide to the interpretation only came into play where there was a genuine ambiguity in the early act, which they said there wasn't. And as to the damage based regulation, damage based agreement regulations, the majority held that the principle did not apply where the later legislation was subordinate legislation made by the executive rather than by an act of parliament. So there's actually a huge dissent that was written here, and they and so so although the court of appeals said or uh, the Supreme Court said that um, they they held that they should be, fall within this legislation, the um, the dissent was quite lengthy in saying that they actually disagreed with the majority, but. This has a lot of practical implications. Yes, Lady,
1: Rose. Lady Rose descending. Yes. Shout out to the woman.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and I, and what they talked about there, which was interesting, is this public policy consideration. So historically, the UK was quite had quite stringent controls over. Mm. Uh, litigation finance. And that was because there was concerns with these consumers not getting the benefit of their award. And there was a lot of, it wasn't regulated at all. So there was a, lo- a lot of skepticism on these types of agreements. But then the, the court, both in the majority and the dissent, went through the development of the The legislation and said actually because we have these statutes in place, we're already addressing the public policy considerations. And actually, there's a new public policy consideration which is access to justice, and that's how they found that so many claimants are trying to use litigation finance in order to bring meritorious claims. And therefore, you actually have a new public policy reason that should should be taken into into account. Um. So how are litigation? So what does this mean for the market? Really? Um. So. It's quite narrow, right? I mean, the the issue itself is quite narrow. So although it feels broad that all litigation funding arrangements are subject to these statutes and therefore must fulfill certain conditions, um, it it can be avoided if you structure your litigation finance agreements in a manner that avoids um, their entitlement. So linking it to the damages recovered. So, you know, if you just don't put a percentage recovery based on the damages awarded, you could find your way out of this issue. Um, Or you can structure your agreement so that it does comply with the conditions, because all like
1: having multiples, for example, right? So yeah, is that, is that an alternative? Yeah, because I've seen a lot of agreements like that. So the a multiple, you're entitled to a multiple of the amount that you have invested, as opposed to any reference to, to the, the damage. damages. sorry exactly. right. Okay.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, which makes sense. And the issue there, because this was a collective agreement, right? So they were looking for a collective order. So if you're talking about, and this is one of the concerns that they had, if you're talking about a mass tort claim, and you and you're basically bringing a claim. For the entire damage of loss, but you don't have all the claimants included, um, then basically what the funder is getting is getting a percentage of damages that is going to this class of claimants, not all the claimants. And then that class of claimants is getting a distribution of the damages that could have been entitled to someone else right. um, who wasn't a member of the class. So it actually, there, there were there's intricacies in, in, in the fact pattern here. Um, Cases where funding arrangements are already in place, funders can absolutely have look to replace existing agreements with alternative arrangements that do satisfy. Um, historical legal spend may prove difficult to recover, so returns on that spend even harder. So funders could face significant losses um, if they don't uh, go, to, you know, make these make these adjustments. Um, and although the, as I said, this rule this ruling firmly shuts the door on the damages linked litigation funding arrangements. It is unclear how these, this competition tribunal will deal with cases uh, which are certified on the strengths of the LFAs mm-hmm. and how and that have now been rendered unenforceable and whether this will just be, will it be construed narrowly to only affect these agreements or will these public policy considerations and statutory interpretations come and, mm-hmm. and affect other arrangements as well? That's something that we, we really don't know. As I said, there is a development that I saw online and doing my own research um, in November 20th. So that's now I'm now making this more relevant (laughs) since this was in July. A couple of weeks ago, then
1: yeah. A couple Mm -hmm. of
0: weeks ago, the government has put forward an amendment to a the Digital Markets Competition and Consumer Bill where it's going to expressly include language that says that damage-based agreements are only unenforceable in opt-out collective proceedings before competition appeals tribunals if the provider, uh, if it provides advocacy or litigation services. So uh, again, super narrow. However, what it does is it affects that management problem right? right so um it, it puts but wait, that wait, wait,
1: wait. can you go back what did you say advocacy and
0: litigation services
1: and litigation services but so there's no mention of arbitration though
0: no Correct. because
1: that's that's the million dollar question i think i mean it's i think it's it's uh, it's very dangerous to assume mm. that it doesn't apply to arbitration but it's a valid question
0: yeah yeah i
1: mean is there not does it, is it only before you know, in litigation proceedings before the English courts, or does it also apply to English seated arbitration or or any other arbitration um, where the contract is governed by English law?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean,
1: that's also a question, actually, right? Would it be applicable to the Lex Arbitrary? Is the Lex Arbitrary relevant or is it the governing law?
0: Yeah, it's a choice of law <laughs> issue because what if it's a UK company that is involved in an arbitration seated in Singapore,
1: hmm. um,
0: but they, but, and the litigation funder is, let's say based in the UK as well. Hmm. So will that litigation funding agreement be subject to this or is it only to do, I I don't know. Yeah.
1: A lot of, a lot of questions. Do you think that that's going to deter, uh, funding agreements to be subject to English law or, you know, to be under the supervision of English courts and go somewhere else?
0: Uh, I, I think what they're, I uh, honestly, I, I think it's so, the facts are so narrow that I don't mm. think that it would affect our business per se, but these okay. mass tort claims perhaps, mm. um, but I don't. But there
1: are mass claims in arbitration yeah. too, right? Yeah. And, right. Our, and funding is getting it's becoming i i I don't know can i dare say it's becoming the norm i don't know of (laughs) course not not in like you know it depends on the amount and the type of case but it's getting a lot of traction in our world
0: yeah Um, i I think the damage-based question is something that is easily avoidable
1: yeah Yeah, i think you're right yeah it's just that it's true that when it came out during the summer there was this kind of anxiety amongst all of Mm. um Arbitration practitioners, I think, right? Yeah. Because say if you have an existing agreement that's in place and then maybe funders are, the funders are more anxious, I suppose, than Mm. the ones who got the money. Because the ones who got the money now can maybe, I don't want to give ideas, but resist enforcement.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: Because they've already got the money, they've got their proceeding, and now... You know, is the question of enforceability?
0: Mm. Yeah, it, it's a bit hairy, and I think that's why people were saying it sent shockwaves because of the uncertainty on mm. how far this mm. would stretch, um, and and who would seek it to be unenforceable. Really, I mean, if if even if you're on the other side, you would want. If, if the purpose of litigation finance, particularly in this case, was to prove that you'd be able to pay the adverse costs of the other party, because this was right. just a preliminary ruling. So th- we didn't even get to the merits of the case. Um, if if the whole purpose is to give you security that they're going to be able to pay your adverse costs, you wouldn't really raise an issue on the enforceability of that agreement. That's true. That's or, well, true. I guess unless you're trying to cut the legs off of that client and, and not have them be able to continue with the case. Perhaps that's yeah. what the argument is.
1: So are do you know if there's like more incentives to seek security for cost Then now that you have a, if you see a funding arrangement, because you could be like, yeah, that doesn't mean that. Yeah. You know how there was this whole debate on what, you know, how security, like asking for security and cost, of course, is you can't, it's not automatically granted if there's a third right. party funding, but right. now it's, this adds to kind of the uncertainty of getting money back.
0: Mm. No, definitely, yeah. and I think yeah, because I think Ix had changed their rules about that, didn't they? Saying yeah. for security for costs, if you do have funding in place, it speaks against um, uh, getting a security for costs order. Um, but interesting.
1: We shall see the development. We shall
0: see. Development. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, there's our substantive topic. Let's offload. Thank and you. Have some. It's very content. interesting. Happy fun time. We are going to talk about extensions, seeking extensions, facing extensions and the like. I think uh, how I want to phrase this to make it happy fun time is I want to start by saying that our schedules as lawyers are tight and managed within an inch of their life. And we tend to set our schedules based on anything that's fixed. So you have a hearing that's fixed. Every future case, every subsequent case is going to have to be structured in a way that allows you enough time to not only attend the hearing, but that gives you preparation on both sides for any other case that you have. So when an extension comes, oh, and, a
1: request for an extension, you
0: make a request for an extension. Yeah. Yes, a cr- yeah. it almost makes your stomach drop because. And it, let's not even talk about affecting the hearing. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's just affecting these very, very delicate deadlines that are in your calendar, and even one day, maybe, but you know, a week or even further. If there's actually you know something new that comes up in the case that requires an even further extension,
1: you talk like a project manager, like a huge construction project. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's what I'm working on. That's what, <laughs> it's then the whole thing goes into flux, at, you know. And then how do you and yeah. and I think and, well let let's see. Do you agree that it's it's it does affect your schedule when you see, yes. get these extensions?
1: Yes, yeah, so it has consequences. So that's why it all depends too. You know, how long is the extension, right? Mm -hmm. Because what are we talking about? We've we've all asked for like the extra day Mm -hmm. (laughs) or two days or week, you know, and how is that going to realistically, I mean, it might, you're right, it might have a huge impact um, because it it delays the hearing. But what if you work towards proposing an alternative calendar where the hearing dates are still fixed, no matter Mm -hmm. what, and you can play around, you know, if you leave a buffer, in yeah. your procedural calendar for these things that inevitably may happen. Um,
0: yeah. I think that's a tip is that's a pro tip mm, um, is to that procedural calendars should have a bit of a buffer because mm, these things do arise and, mm, you know, things mm, arise all the time, whether it be religious holidays or, you, you know, a, a complexity in the case that was unprecedented, unanticipated.
1: Do so. you have a case where it has derailed completely everything like an extension?
0: Uh, n- no, not, not deep. No, not derailed. Um, I think the, you know, if you're dealing with, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're dealing with counsel, that's, you know, acting ethically, and they actually have a reason mm. for that, for that extension, I think it, it tends to be fine um Mm -hmm. and as long as there's a buffer then not that it's not that it's derailed no um where where it's been completely inconvenient (laughs) yes (laughs) um but not have you have you had any like disasters Uh,
1: it's it's like you say it's just um for the client it's very um it's a source of a lot of anxiety Mm. uh, because uh especially when you're you know, you it's it's money at the end of the day, right? So the longer the case runs, the longer it 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 it's just going to cost more inevitably to the claimant.
0: Yeah, and uh, I-
1: it's not like we stop working while the other side is finishing there. You know, true. you just got to get ready, and then you need to organize, and reorganize exactly like you say your schedule. Uh, and, and your schedule is not just the one linked to the arbitration as lawyer, right? You have other arbitrations going on at the same time, so that could be really inconvenient. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's been there's been cases where we have been uh, very um, how do you, uh, in English like in French, confraternel, which is like your you're uh, you with the other side's lawyers where you oh, yeah. you have you have like a bilateral conversation and, right. and, and and you know they're very honest and they're just like hey we we just really need this extra week or, or can you please and then you're like yeah sure you know we can if we get an extra week of obviously, exactly. obviously then it's fine you make it work and it's fine and then you can explain to the client that it's not going to you know derail or cost too much or cost anything in addition or whatever Um, But then there are other cases, as you point out, where it's it's almost a guerrilla tactic, Mm. especially if it's so close to the deadline Um, or if it's a very long extension. Yeah,
0: that was my next question. How far in advance is a reasonable time to request an extension? Obviously, it's when the circumstances arise. But if you're talking about something where you just really can't make it, And you really can't assess that until really close to the deadline. Um, how close is too close for it to be?
1: And how much I, should... I, I mean, objectively, you should be able to ask for it beforehand, but I can't say this with a straight face. How mm. many times have I asked for an extension? Last minute, literally. Yeah. Because you realize at the last minute you're not going to be able to make it to file because the client <laughs> responded in time. Or, That's, yeah. And you just need that. But it's always this whole discussion that I have with some colleagues where they're like, oh, it's always that extra day. You know, it's like when you're due. You I have just have one more due. day. Yeah, it's just if I had one more hour, one more day. One more <laughs> day. Um, and, and the thing is, you should try to make it. But sometimes it, mo- most, most of the times when we ask for extension, it's just outside of our control, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just for a reason. I mean, what is the craziest reason that you have seen Advanced by an opposite party, if you may talk about it,
0: mm-hmm. asking
1: for an extension that you thought was completely unreasonable.
0: Uh I I wouldn't say I wouldn't say unreasonable, but I I would say it was unreasonable just because they knew of this. So I, I bring up like you know religious holidays where the law oh, yeah. firm the law firm wasn't none of them were observant of that religion and were not even in the jurisdiction where you know the majority of the population observes that jurisdiction. How do you know that though? Uh, I, I, don't. I don't I researched to check accept, if I accepted the extension no one was Christian. I agree.
1: Muslim.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Everyone show your religious cards now.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um but I what I an example I do want to bring up is an actual, you know, health, right? That's obviously something mm. that that comes up. But yeah. I had a I think it was actually on YouTube. So I, I think in Vattenfall, you know, there was a discussion on extensions or reasons not to appear as you know and and they said that um someone said that they they had they had to move the funeral of a relative to file on time and therefore the other side should not have a reason to have an extension mm. um and i don't you know i don't think that should be the threshold that mm. you know i think you know any these these things are serious and out of your control and people yeah. you know have have obligations, and I, I think you just have to be—it's karma in the end of the day.
1: Yes, yes, it comes back mm. to you as well. No, for sure. I mean, I think one one important thing is due process concerns. So mm-hmm. just to make sure that every party gets the same time at the end of the day, which inevitably has uh, you know this this spiraling of spiral effect that you were mentioning. Yeah. On the whole calendar. Yeah. So that's not that's not great but yeah they are <clears throat> then you get into fights about what's reasonable or not and it's it's just really
0: it's like yeah. are
1: you gonna ask for medical certificates are you gonna check which how, i've seen wow
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> nope and like how do and school. how do you
1: assess you know how how serious it is you might have a medical certificate but it might not prevent you from actually traveling right you know stuff like that, but anyway. It, there was in I mean, COVID.
0: We can use a neutral example. Uh, COVID. I remember a lead council came down with COVID, and they were running a very lean team, and so they asked for an extension because the lead council couldn't be there. And the tribunal mm-hmm. asked, "Doesn't anyone else on your team know how, anything about this yeah, case?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, but- there was
1: the yeah. You're right. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but this is actually this rings a bell with a really re- with a recent case. I forgot. When it was, but it was the Christian Petroleum case. Do you remember? Um, if you, there was a member of the team um, that got ill and couldn't make it to the hearing, and so they asked for an extension. And that's exactly what the other side, I think the other side was NIOC, uh, the National Iranian Oil Company, and they mm. said, um, um, they they said, you know, well, don't you have any other people in your team or something like that? <laughs> you know, and he was like the main and i forgot who it was um and and then at the end of the day what happened was the arbitrators um refused uh their request to seek um an, an extension. extension on that basis oh. i don't know if it was crescent or nyoko asked for the extension but right. uh, irrespectively what happened at the end then was that there was an award and that it got there the, they they asked they challenged it i think on well, that um, basis on
0: due process, yeah yeah
1: yeah concerns um and i don't I, I, I mean, I think there's been developments and stuff on that. But yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing that happened. This kind of thing that, you, that yeah. you request. Well, to be honest, we are like law firms and we're supposed to have a team. So if someone's missing, someone should. Yeah, but to. this is
0: the due process. You're, it's your client's right to choose counsel. And that's not the law firm necessarily. It's. it's
1: Yeah, maybe they really wanted that person specifically to advocate. In enough. That. that is fair enough, I suppose.
0: Yeah, depending on yeah. the circumstances.
1: Yeah, but if you have like honestly, you have a team of twenty people, and it happens like four four days before the hearing. I mean, it's really mm. it does derail everything, doesn't it? But yeah, yeah, it's. Uh,
0: have you ever had a last question? Have you ever had a tribunal request an extension?
1: Yes, that happens a lot mm. uh, to issue the award. I have Uh, him, he put it that way. I don't think I've ever seen an (laughs) article not asking. It's not that they ask us. They just ask the institution, right? Right,
0: exactly. Usually. Because they have their deadlines.
1: Yeah, and I I, I think they have to give their rules, of course, uh, their reasons to the institution. but the reasons are not necessarily shared uh, with the parties. It's just mm-hmm. you just receive a letter, right, from the ICC or Exit whatever, saying mm-hmm. this the award will now be rendered or has been. There's been an extension of deadline to render the award. Yeah. Um. But I've never seen an, yeah, a yeah request for an extension from a tribunal.
0: Yeah, I, don't, I mean, the only thing I would think, of, uh, I mean. There's no deadlines for their procedural orders. Maybe an order for document production, for example, where they do have a deadline in the procedural calendar that would need an extension. Yeah, um,
1: but there usually is a deadline to render an award, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, so that's the, um, I think we all need, well, that's, the, that's also one thing is if, if, a, if a pure litigation person was listening to this conversation, they'd be like, what are these people talking about? <laughs> 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 what are you in La La Land? Like, you've got a deadline. You got to respect it. And if you don't meet that deadline, you know, uh, sorry. Yeah. That's it. End of story. Move on. Case closed. Struck Case out. dismissed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, you're like... absolutely right. I remember our, my first filing was, we were like 10 minutes late. And I was like pulling mm. my hair out. I was yeah. like, We're, yeah, we can't. And everyone's like, it's fine. These things happen in arbitration. I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. The same thing happened to me. One of my, well, not my first, but uh, one of the first filings I did when I was in London. So I changed firms. I was a different team altogether. And I was always used to, you know, filing on time, everything, documents. I mean, you know, and, uh, and it was like 5 p.m., I think. And I was like, where are the, where are this exhibit? Where's that exhibit? And the team was like, oh, no, we, it's not right. It's okay. We'll we'll just file it tomorrow or, day, or Monday. And I was like, no, the deadline yeah. is tonight. <laughs> and I started having hives and everything. And they were like, uh, there's a rugby game tonight. Like, there's no way no oh, one's gonna wow. be like, sleeping or... And I was like, what? What are these guys talking about? Like there's a deadline. They're like, oh yeah. So they're gonna struck off our case because we we didn't file like three exhibits. Come on, Sadia, this is our <laughs> And this is arbitration, and I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like, oh, are these guys for real?" And and you know what happened? It was fine. It it was totally fine. Yeah, they just filed their exhibits when they had finished their rugby game or whatever it was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <And they just laughs> this is definitely not advocating for people to just no no, no lose no, the no. deadlines. But no, no, I it it's uh it, the the consequences are not the same as in litigation. That's definitely mm. that's definitely yeah. true. All right. Well, thanks. It's so good to have you back on on the air.
1: Well, thank you. I myself asked for multiple extensions to be back to Brian. So thank you for granting (laughs) those.
0: There you go. It's (laughs) karma. It's karma when I need
1: it.
0: All right. Speak soon.
1: Thank you, Brian. Bye.
0: Bye.